the whole idea of this, of this uh, series is that we have so many gifted people inside this church. And so it's, it's basically six weeks where you don't have to see my face or hear me talk, right? And uh, it's a series that uh, is always a lot of fun. I enjoy it. But we scheduled things off. And somehow between myself and the calendar, things got messed up. And so, uh, unfortunately, you have me this morning. But I have something fun to talk about, so I'm excited to be here. I'm not sure if you are. But uh, uh, I share this story on Facebook. And basically, just a long story short, right? It's a guy who's been involved in Hillsong. He's, he's kind of experienced the highest of highs in the church world circles, right? And he's... He, he wrote some of my favorite songs uh, in my high school years, college years. Uh, and basically, he, he had to come out and was very honest that his faith was struggling. He was, he was teetering on the edge. And he had he'd kind of begun to do some study, and uh, he had learned some things about science. He had, he had studied the Bible and realized that some of the things he's told about the Scriptures were not exactly accurate. And uh, he had some life experiences that just did not line up with the faith that he was given as a child. And and so in this process, he was just kind of being honest about it and saying, you know, I, I feel like I'm losing my faith, was his, his statement. And of course, um, about a week ago, it came out, and uh, his statement was, um, you know, uh, I love you, but uh, I'm not one of you anymore. And he, he uh, officially stepped away from the, the Christian faith. And so in this process, all these uh, amazing megachurch uh, pastors and their great wisdom and uh, even a lead singer from Skillet chose to speak out about this and, and to have some stances. And I believe they all have the right intentions. I just don't think that they have the right uh, approach in this. And basically the, the theme has been that it's a, it's a responsibility of leaders in the church to make sure that they stay fully committed to the faith. And if they at all begin to struggle or deal with, with doubt, they need to step down. And that we as a church need to have a hard line. That we would know what is safe and what's not, what's Christian and what's not, and all these great, very helpful or unhelpful things that were said. Now, what's interesting about this article, it's, this whole thing has happened um, at the end of a very interesting year here at Grace Church. Um, about a year and a half ago, I went through a process of really having to ask some, some hard questions of myself. And, you know, I've, I've loved being a pastor, but it's all I've ever known. I've, I've, been a, I've been pastoring since I was 18 years old. And so when we went through some life experiences that made us ask questions about our future, is this something that we want to do? We love the people, we, we love uh, the faith and the scriptures, but is this something that's worth the rest of our lives? Because there are so many churches who are doing great services. There are so many churches who do a better service experience than we do. There are churches who do great events and have a lot of fun, and they have probably more fun than we do. There are, there are all sorts of environments and things that people do that are awesome, but none of these things to me are worth uh, an investment of my life of our family's life. And so the question was, what is it at Grace Church which is worth sacrificing for? If you talk to any honest pastor, they'll tell you that the ministry is it's not easy, it's not fun, it's not comfortable. There's a lot of sacrifices involved in the ministry. So the question was, what is it about Grace Church? If we close the doors today, what is this area losing? What are they missing? Is there anything unique here that, that isn't being... Met. Is there a need in this area that isn't being met anywhere else? If we close Grace Church, is there not a, another good nursery in the area? If we close Grace Church, is there not an, another, you know, decent worship team to go hear some good songs and worship with? Is there not uh, any other preachers who are going to preach the scriptures around here? There are all of those things. So what is it that's worth existing for, sacrificing for, pouring into 
here at Grace Church. And so this process has been painful for us, but it, it's been needed. And so we ended up kind of having this huge statement, which kind of just kind of sums things up, but to kind of distill it down to something kind of simple, we made a one-liner just to kind of remind ourselves, to teach ourselves, why is it that we're doing this? And so it's, it's kind of simple, but we're going to put it up here. And Grace Church is a place for the curious, bored, and discouraged to journey together towards a full life with Jesus. Now, I hate one-liners. If you guys have been to Grace Church at all, you guys know I can't stand anything that feels fake or plastic. I don't even like this. It's, it's helpful. We need this. This is crucial, but it makes me go, ugh, it just sounds a little cheesy and plastic. Anyone? Cheese alert? Anybody? Anyone? Towards a fuller life with Jesus. Amen. But we chose these words specifically. Curious. Any person who comes to a place in their walk with God when they just need more. Maybe they've been in a church where they've been told, here's what it is, here's what you believe, don't ask questions. But they need, is there anything more to it? Maybe they've been in a church that's very emotionally driven. What happens when the emotions are gone? What happens when the, the worship experience wasn't amazing, when I didn't get the holy gooseys that day? Is there anything more to our faith than emotional highs? Is there anything more to our faith than picnics and events and barbecues? As great as it is to feed the homeless and to take care of needs, is there anything more to our faith than that? Is there anything more? People who are curious. Bored. I love the bored ones. It's not that they're against Christianity, but they just, what's the point of it? I get it. I believe in Jesus. I've done the thing. But what, what else? Like, why do I need to go to church? Yeah, we're going to, you know, help some kids. We're going to sing some songs. But why can't I do that from home? Why can't I just watch the service on my Computer, send in my check somewhere and just be done with it. What is the point? Is there anything worth sacrificing my time for? Having to take my family there for? What's the point of this? And the last group, which might be my favorite group, if I have to have favorites, discouraged. And I'm, I love that word. Uh, people who are experiencing friction in their life. Think about stress, strain, right? There's a Friction. Things are not smooth sailing. Things are difficult, right? And this comes in all different shapes and sizes. This comes in experiencing sickness. A loved one is going through illness and sickness. They are having to fight cancer. And someone shows up in the hospital room and says, you know what? Glory be to God. He, you know what? God has a plan. You're sick to the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. You don't know it yet. But after the chemo treatments and after the surgeries and after all of the hell you're going to go through, there's, there's, there's glory on the end. Amen. And you realize you couldn't stomach that answer anymore. Or what's common? Kids go to college, learn a few things, philosophy, science, evolution maybe. And they, they come back and say, I just can't hold on to that faith of my childhood that told me that the world was made in six days, and then God was really tired because he worked so hard. He had to sit back on the couch for the seventh day. I don't know if I can that the same way. I need more. I need more. Someone who grew up in a faith church, and they were told, if you're not healed, it's because you didn't do the right things. But I did all the things. I prayed all the prayers. I believed all the stuff. I, I fasted. I prayed. We did the worship thing. We got people to pray with us. We did the prayer chain, and it didn't happen. I'm discouraged. I need more. Well, the people who just began to ask questions, because in church circles, that's the most dangerous thing in the world, to ask questions. 
So you're telling me that Jesus is all God and all man in a human body, and that human body, which contains all the universe and all of humanity, came out of a woman who was a virgin, and he still poops and pees and eats. Is that correct? And you don't want to talk about that at all? We're just going to ignore that? Like that's just okay and normal? And so you tell me that we are a people believing that Jesus is going to return and make all things right, but every generation for the last 2,000 years has believed that, and things get worse and worse and worse, and we're just going to say it's going to happen sometime. We're not going to ask any questions about that, anything. Christians, you are discouraged. These people are the ones that this church is equipped for. We are here for anyone who wants to go farther with Jesus, no matter what. But if you fit any of these categories, we are specifically equipped for you. There are other churches who will care about you, who will love you, and will do amazing things for you, but this is what we're good at. We will try to do cookouts, but they will not be the best cookouts ever. We will have lights and sing songs, and our songs will be passionate and anointed and unique and honest, but they might not be the best concert you've ever been to. I've been to some pretty good concerts. The best ones weren't Christian, just saying. I'm just, just putting it out there. There are a lot of things that we can do. I will try to give you some self-help tips, but I promise you this, that is not my strength, to give you three steps to being a better blah, 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 blah. We, in this church, are geared to take people who need more to find more. To take people who just are just, I don't see the value in it anymore. What is the point? We can show you the point. And the people who just cannot buy into it anymore, whatever it is, whether they've gone through loss, they've lost a loved one, they've gone through illness, they've gone through mental challenges, they've gone through hard questions and science, whatever it is that's caused them to say, I don't know if I can do the thing anymore. I don't know if I can sing the songs anymore and act like everything's okay when it's not. This is the church for you. And if you have a heart for people like that, this is also the church for you. So at this point, I just want to ask you, you the gospel, the good news has to be personal. Each church is kind of called to bring out, to flesh out a certain part of that gospel. And the good news here in this church that we flesh out the best, that we kind of give face to, we give form to the best, is that we have a God who's for the prodigals, right? Um, who went to a church that used the word prodigals? Anybody? Come on, anybody go to church about the prodigals? Who was the prodigal that they were praying for? Anybody? Okay. So in the, um, in the church that I went to, what we would do is we would, we would all begin to you know, say the names of the prodigals. We had this great song in the 90s. It was awesome. And we would shout to the north and the east and the south and the west. If you guys didn't experience this, you think I'm crazy. It's okay. We were a little bit crazy. But, I mean, we would just be like, bring them back from the east and from the south. And it was awesome. It was a great experience. But we had a problem. They never came back. Apparently, they needed something more than chanting or even singing. And I think all that has a place. We didn't know how to bring them back. We didn't know how to give them what they needed. We couldn't. 
when they'd show up and say, I just don't feel the emotion anymore. Yeah, you guys do the songs, it's great, I just don't feel it anymore. We didn't know what to offer them. When they sat us down and said, yeah, I understand how you believe it, but here's the problem I have with that verse. We didn't know how to answer that. And so even when they wanted to come home, they couldn't stay. They always had to go somewhere else. And the one thing that... The one thing I try to communicate from this stage almost every week is that you might not feel it yet, but what you need to know is this. There's already a wave happening in this country. Already. Millennials in mass numbers are leaving the church. Now, we are in the Bible belt, right? The buckle of the Bible belt. Who's got like a southern, like a, like a cowboy belt who's willing to flash it? No one now. Got it. Okay. But you know what it looks like. Imagine that buckle, that gaudy, shiny thing, right? Who knows what that's about? This is it. We are the last place on the map that's going to notice what's happening. But I guarantee you it is already happening. If you study the, the uh, church trends, this happened in Europe a hundred years ago. It's just now happening here. People are leaving the church in mass numbers because they cannot take a plastic faith anymore. A faith that cannot survive death, questions, doubting. Suffering, struggling. The same answers I saw online. People who were just, yeah, you know, I just tell them, get out of here if you don't believe in Jesus. Mercy. Oh my gosh. Um, so the uh, home that we have, it's a quaint little house. It used to be beautiful before we lived in it. You know how that works, right? And before you have kids. You should be this, this a tree on the left of the driveway when you drove up. It was white and gorgeous. So at this time of year, when you'd pull in, it just looked like picturesque, right? It's a small little kind of ranch house with this nice little beautiful tree. And honestly, if, I, if I'll be honest with you guys today, as I always am, right? This tree was a big reason I wanted to buy the house. It created emotional attachment. I would drive and say, mm, isn't life perfect, right? It's a beautiful little tree. So we bought the house. We were in the house for about a month and a half. And then uh, storm season hit, right? And that poor little uh, crepe myrtle, right? Was it a crepe myrtle? Bradford pear, those darn liars, stupid trees. They look like trees, right? Like, you know, they look strong. They look robust. The first storm in that house, that thing got broken, just knocked over. I've hated the house ever since. No. Um, <laughs> On the outside, this Bradford pear looked healthy and beautiful, strong even, right? It didn't seem to have any issues. On the surface, everything looked fine with this tree. One baby storm and the tree was over. It couldn't take it. It was done. This is the faith that most of us were given. It's cute. It's quaint, it's pretty on a beautiful spring day when everything is just right. Thank God, hallelujah, blessed and highly favored. Everything looks great. But what about when that first storm hits? 
Can your faith survive anything? And how is it surviving? One thing I've always loved about trees and tall buildings, okay? For a tree to be tall, right, the, the taller it goes, right, the more it's going to be affected, right, by the wind, by storms, by lightning, right? The taller it goes, the more of a target is for lightning. The taller it goes, the more it's going to feel the wind, correct? And so the taller a tree goes, what has to happen under the surface of a tree? Anyone know? The roots, right? The problem with the stupid Bradford pear is that those roots don't go anywhere. They're just barely there. I still have the... I still have it in my yard. I was able to mow over it with a lawnmower, which isn't good. I don't suggest it. But a lawnmower took care of that root all by itself. Have you ever tried to, to, to take a lawnmower over a, an oak tree? Oak tree. When you go into a skyscraper and you, uh, you begin to look at this monstrous thing. Who's ever been to the top of a skyscraper? Anybody? Yeah. Is it stable? Is it standing there because it's so rigid and it does not move? Does anyone know? <laughs> no. It's like a boat kind of, right? When you get up on the top, you get out of the elevator, and you realize quickly that things are not stable. And you just kind of, uh, and it goes back and forth. And when the wind blows, you literally feel it on the 300th floor, <laughs> whatever, right? Have you ever watched a very monstrous tree to see what it does when the wind blows? Does it not budge an inch? Hold the line! Or does it sway? There are two things that your faith has to have to survive. First of all, you've got to go deep. No faith will ever survive that doesn't go deep, period. If you want to, if you feel like they go into scriptures with this, Jesus has a nice, quaint way of saying that all our faith is going to be tested. He uses the word fire. And in the end, all things will be thrown to the fire, and we'll see what's dross and what's gold, meaning what burns up in the flames and what comes out as pure. Every single faith in this room, at some point, whether in this life or the next, is going to be tested. And I want you to understand something right now. A shallow faith is beautiful. It's quaint. It fits just right into our life. It doesn't cause problems. Everything gets to stay the same. Oh, I just love that beautiful little tree. At some point in your life, whether it comes early or late, it will be tested. Period. You will lose someone. You will experience sickness. You will learn something. You have to ask a question. Your kids will go through something. A neighbor will. Something will happen, and that little tree is going to be tested. Can it survive? The first thing your faith has to have to survive is depth. You might not like it. You might not enjoy it. You will have to go deep at some point in your life, or else you will not make it. I'm sorry. I hear the same thing at Grace Church. The first six months, I love this church. It's my favorite. I've looked for Grace Church my whole life. After six months, it just wasn't for me. It just didn't feel comfortable anymore. I didn't have that feel anymore. 
When you're trying to help a plant go deep, right, if you're trying to plant a tree, when you go out there and you, you have that nice little stump of a tree and you're about ready to plant it, what do you have to do first for it to go deep? If you put it on the grass, your perfect, pristine grass, who has a great lawn in here? Come on, raise your hand, Arnie. He has a great lawn. If I showed up today with a shovel and a plant, hey, Arnie, this looks great. You've done a great job. Beautiful grass. But you want this tree to survive, don't you? I'm going to have to dig it up. I'm going to shove this shovel in the ground and mess up your beautiful lawn. He probably won't say a word before he smacks me in the side of the head. He does not want his beautiful, cute little lawn disturbed. Cute. The process of going deep is not beautiful. It doesn't feel good. You have to break things up. And the scriptures is actually a term for this, right? Break up shallow ground. There's actually a, a parable about this, right? That the, the plants that don't survive are the ones who are planted in the rocks. And when the storm comes, they wither and they do not survive. Only the ones whose roots go deep survive. Your faith must go deep. And to go deep, you must do some digging. And digging is a nasty, uncomfortable business, which we are great at here at Grace Church. We are very gifted at digging up your lawn. The second thing your faith must have, you've got to be able to bend. You've got to be able to move a little bit. Now, I'm, I'm a little sore this morning, so the, you know, the hips won't do it. But you get the idea, right? You've got to be able to, to move a little bit, right? You've got to be able to move. We used to seize, uh, a series on seasons of life. I hope you were paying attention. Because every single one of you is about to hit a new transition in seasons, and you're going to be hit. It's going to be difficult. It's going to challenge you. And if you are rigid, if you're not willing to change a single thing, you will not survive the transition. Being flexible, being bendable, moldable means you're able to change. If you are not able to handle change, your faith will not survive. It is a hard truth that we see in the scriptures over and over again. And so in my life... I, I have a special passion for people who go through areas of discouragement. Probably um, 11 years ago, I experienced something on my own where I went through a, a very deep experience of shaking in my faith. There's a, a line in Hebrews that talks about when all that can be shaken is shaken, only what survives is going to remain. There's a space in my own life where I went through deep shaking in my life. What do I really believe? Like, what do I really trust? What do I really know that I can lean on? And so those people are always kind of special in my heart. Now, if you guys have your, your Bibles, let's go to uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 3. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command. 
so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. What an interesting statement that is. Now, this passage goes on, right? And it begins to talk about all of the great people of faith in the scriptures. It's called the faith chapter in the Bible, right? Uh, depending on what church you went to, they might have preached from Hebrews 11 almost every Sunday. The faith book, right? What's interesting about all the people that they mention in Hebrews 11, they talk about how great these amazing people of faith were. Abraham, what an amazing man of faith. Moses, oh my goodness, his faith was just to the moon and back. Noah, that guy didn't have an ounce of doubt in him. Amen, hallelujah. It's so great. Now, who here has actually read the Bible? Anybody? <laughs> Do you know anything about these characters? About Abraham? Oh, Abraham, such an amazing man of God that he slept with his... Yeah. What? Who was that? Was that his wife he had a child with? No, it wasn't. Oh, great man of faith. Trusted God so much. He did the exact thing he was told not to do. Amen. Hallelujah. What a great example to follow after. Moses. Oh, what a, what a cedar of faith. That guy never wavered in his faith at all. Moses didn't try to run from God ten different times and then even murder someone in the process. He never did that. And it wasn't Moses whose last act with God was a lack of faith, which is the reason he never got to enter into the promised land. He had to die by himself alone on a mountain. That's beautiful. Did you guys know that? That's how Moses' life ends. Lack of faith, he dies alone on a mountainside watching everyone he just led go into the promised land he will never get to experience. To be faithful to God has great rewards, guys. You excited? We don't even get to talk about Peter. Oh, what a great pillar of faith. God's going to build the church on Peter. Oh, my goodness, because Peter's awesome. He walked on water for a whole half a step. Good job. And then when Jesus was about to go through the most excruciating moment of his life, he abandoned Jesus and denied him. Oh, what a man of faith. Amen. Anybody? Hallelujahs? Come on, guys. you got to laugh a little bit. Name the person. I will tell you how the story really goes. Every single example we get in the scriptures of a man or a woman of faith, let me tell you, it was a journey to faith. The reason I cannot stand these hardcore answers to me, oh, he's an apostate. What an ugly word that is, apostate. Ugh. I just know you're a jerk if you said the word apostate. <laughs> we don't need to have coffee. It's not going to work. I will never use the word apostate unless I'm making fun of someone else who said the word apostate. You heretic, apostate. You don't even know what you're talking about. Gracious. You need to understand something in the scriptures. The author of Hebrews assumes that you know the Bible. They assume that you know all of the, the, the stories of Israel. They are assuming a lot when they write this. They assume that you knew how Abraham and Moses and Noah got to a place of faith. Isaac and Jacob and Abel, they assume that you knew how they got there. The whole beauty of the chapter of faith is that people lacked faith and that God met them in their unbelief and led them into faith. You're missing the entire story. You misunderstand the scriptures because you don't know them. This is the beauty of the Bible. Don't let anyone tell you it's a stupid book. It is a beautiful book, not perfect, but beautiful. Actually, it's perfectly imperfect. 
That's what the Bible is. Marty's statement said, and in churches we never talk about the inconsistencies in the Bible. Well, you haven't come to Grace Church. Gracious, Marty. We never talk about science. Well, man, I wish he had a Grace Church in Sydney, Australia. Who wants to plant one? Two people? Do you not? Done? Really? Gracious. People don't even know. Sydney's a nice place, by the way, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. It's nice. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. We have to understand that we have to journey into our faith. Every culture in history, besides their own right now, has always had a process, a season of coming into maturity. The idea is that you don't just wake up and become a full-grown man or woman. You don't just wake up and become a full, mature Christian. You journey into it. The word in the scriptures that we use for that is desert. It's a metaphor. A season of testing and struggle, of doubt, of frustration, of questioning, of anger, of sadness. This is what we go through to get to the other side. Whether it's Israel or Jesus or the church in the book of Acts, the first 40 days in the book of Acts is nothing but the church questioning everything Jesus said. This is what it is. The Jews had a bar mitzvah. It's a coming of age. In Australia, we'll have to go back there again. Aborigines had a walkabout. Oh, I love that term, a walkabout. And in the church, we used to have this thing that we called confirmation. The idea is this, is that a child can grow up in a, in a family of faith, but at some point, that child has to find their own faith. Would you agree with that? At some point, you can't ride your parents' faith anymore. You've got to find your own, amen? And we used to have a process for this. We called it confirmation. And it was a season of their life where they were allowed to learn and to question and to wrestle in a safe environment to figure out, to find a faith of their own. To not lean on their parents' faith, but to find their own faith. And what's sad is that because we don't have space for this anymore in our churches, when someone goes on a journey to literally find their faith, we misunderstand it. We mislabel it. When someone is literally going out to find their faith, we believe that they've left their faith because we do not know the Scriptures. No single example of faith in the entire Bible just found their faith. They had to journey to find their faith. And there were ups and downs in every single journey. The reason that uh, this last year, as we kind of wrestled about our future, the reason that we're going to be changing a lot of things here at Grace Church is because I realized that what was worth an investment of my life was to create that place. Because where can someone go right now with questions, with doubts, with struggles, with failure? Where can they go in the church right now? Some of you grew up in amazing churches and it was a gift to you. And the churches I went, uh, that I grew up in, I'm not talking about the ones my parents pastored. There you go. All the other ones. There was no place for me to go say, hey, I can't believe this anymore. What's going on with this? Hey, so when you guys make that statement about blah, 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 I think it's kind of empty. Can you explain that to me? 
Hey, I, I, you know, it's fun when we all get really excited and we have a really good service and we feel that, you know, that tagline and the drums build. That's fun and all, but what's the point of that? I had nowhere to go with these things. Hey, I, you know, I understand all the things I was taught, but I just lost someone I love and those answers don't work anymore. Or I can't even put a word on it. I don't even know what to say. I just don't feel like I fit here anymore. I just don't think I can believe that anymore. If anything, the reason that I'm committed to create this type of church is people need a place to go to find their faith. And what's funny is that everyone in this room needs to find their faith. You might not know it yet. There will be an experience that comes in your life where you will realize that that beautiful little tree is cute and all, but it doesn't go deep. You might not be ready for that journey yet, and that's okay. You don't have to rush into it. But at some point, an experience, a question, a thought, an emotion, something's going to trigger you, and everything that used to be okay isn't okay anymore. It's not enough anymore. You need more. And this is the place to find the more. This is the place to wrestle and say, you know what? I don't even know if I'm a Christian right now. I just need a place to sort this out. Is there someone to listen to me? Is there someone to talk to? Is there anyone who has any answers? So even right now, I want you to think about it because we all have friends, family members who we know have left the faith. It started with questions. It started with just feeling just an outsider and then all of a sudden they stopped coming around. They couldn't do it anymore. There are four things that these people need and I just want to Fly through it real quick. The first one is safety. I tell you all the time, there's no question off the table at Grace Church. There's no discussion that makes me uncomfortable. There's no thing that we are not willing to walk through with you here. Nothing. Even if you don't have any questions, that's okay too. There's no ugly emotions that, that are not welcome to be shared here with our pastors and staff. There's no state of life that you can be in that we're not willing to be in it with you. Period. The second thing that these people need, if you can think of that friend or family member, the first thing that they needed from you was safety. To be able to come to you and to talk to you. That's the first thing they needed. The second thing that they needed from you was honesty. As a pastor, I feel the temptation every time to give an answer to every question. To always know what to say. To always know what to do. But sometimes the best answer is to say, I don't know. I've never been in that situation before. I've never thought those things. I have no idea. You will always find honesty here. The third thing that that family member or friend needed was a guide. There's a difference between a teacher and a guide. A teacher tells you about things that they think they know. They've learned about. They've thought about. They've read about. A guide takes you places they've been. The reason that we are gifted with people who are curious bored or discouraged. Guess what? We've been there. I haven't met someone yet who's been to a place of doubt and questioning that I haven't been to yet. And if I do, that's awesome. I'll tell you. Well, I've never been there before. Well, let's go. And a guide doesn't give you directions and watch you walk away. A guide walks with you every single step of the way. This is what that family member needed. It wasn't an answer. It wasn't a simple solution. They needed you to be there with them. 
to be a safe place, to be an honest place, to be in that place with them. And the last thing that these people need is a faith that's holistic. That word sounds a little crazy, but I'll explain it. The reason that so many people like Marty Sampson lose their faith is that they were grown in an environment that says all your faith is based right here in the brain, what you can understand. If you believe this about God, then you're a Christian. If you can't believe it, you're not a Christian. The Christian faith is not a mental ascent religion. We're not just about ascending to ideas and then we've made it. We are a, a religion where we connect people to God through every part of a human being. Mental, emotional, and physical. They need to know that there's times when you might not be able to even stomach the idea of a God who would let cancer happen, but that they can still come to the table and connect in some way, shape, or form. That maybe they don't even, they, they can't stand the table, they can't stand the idea, but they can just sit in a room and emotionally connect to God through a song, through a meal, whatever that is. Our faith is not limited to your brain. Thank God, hallelujah. If your ability to grasp God was limited to your intelligence, we would all be in trouble. That's the polite way to say that, right? Would you guys stay with me this morning? So for the past six years, we've built the table into our services, and I want to explain to you why. About six years ago, I experienced what it was like to come to a place in my faith where I wanted to stay connected to God, but mentally I couldn't do it. I was having to work things out. I was having to wrestle through things here. Emotionally, I was shut down. I couldn't feel anything, but I wanted to know that I was a part of it. Maybe you haven't been there yet, but there's a place where you cannot just get there, where you don't feel connected. Have you ever wondered why we take meals to people who are in hospitals, who are dealing with trauma? Because in that moment, you can't explain, well, the reason that you got sick was blah, 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 verse and blah, blah, blah. Feel better? In those moments, we can't just be like, hey, just feel better, feel better, feel better, feel better. <laughs> Come on. You've all wanted to do that. Just stop being sad. Stop being angry at God. Be happy. You know, like me, I'm happy. I can't say I've ever said that, but you know. There's a, a place where sometimes the body has to un, unlock the emotions in the mind. The reason that we have a faith that takes place here, where we have a scriptures and we connect to God mentally through ideas and thought, and we have worship where we allow ourselves to emotionally connect, and then we even have sacraments where we allow our bodies to connect, is that we need all three anchors. Because there will be times in your life where, where you will lose one or two of those anchors. But you'll always have the ability to connect through one. And so I build this into our services because 90% of the time you'll find this to be just bread and juice. What's the point of that? What's the point? When the day comes, when you need it, you'll realize the point. I'm not a big hugger. You guys know this. But there is a moment when a hug or a handshake means the world to you. There are days where a hug is just another hug. It's just, it's just nothing. But there are days when you need that hug to unlock emotions that are buried deep inside of you. So I just want to read this to you. It's an invitation to the table. 
So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come. Father, I just welcome everyone in this room that we would come honestly, mentally, and emotionally in Jesus' name.